Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. This is the third message in our series. I want to start this message by re-sharing this truth from last week and just kind of building on it. Number one is this. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Every one of you. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, God created you to fulfill a specific purpose. In fact, God had a plan for you even before you were conceived. God had a plan and a purpose for you. Look at this in Psalms 139, 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet they were none of them. God had a plan and a purpose before you were even born. You were born to fulfill a specific purpose. God created you. Again, it wasn't like this. What am I going to do with this one? Where did this one come from? I mean, I, I didn't, he wasn't even on my radar screen. God had a plan for you and created you to fulfill a specific purpose. So vision is what helps us to see or to understand God's plan and purpose for our lives. Vision gives us clarity to see what God is wanting to do in our lives and through our lives. And the first and most important thing that, that when it comes to understanding vision or, or having vision or understanding God's plan for our lives is this, are you born again? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now those aren't my words. That's what Jesus said in John 3, 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's not just dealing with salvation. That pertains to all, everything, every aspect of the kingdom of God. You can't see what God is wanting to do in you and through you unless you are born again. So once a person is born again, they can see God's plan for their lives. And you say, man, that is great. I am born again. But that's just half the battle, isn't it? I mean, seeing God's plan, understanding God's plan is one thing, but fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life is a different story. And that's where the, really, the battle comes in, because once we understand God's plan for our lives, we must pursue that plan by faith. Now, if we choose to pursue God's plan, because we have a choice, when it comes to the plans and purpose of God, remember this, God created you specifically with a plan and a purpose, but if you don't fulfill that, his plan will still be fulfilled. It'll be through someone else. So God's got a plan and a purpose for our lives, but we must choose. We must discern and we must choose. And we must decide if we're going to be faithful. But here's what happens often. God reveals his plans to us. We pursue them by faith, and then we encounter hindrances. If we allow those hindrances, they can prevent us from fulfilling God's plan for our life. So here's one, one hindrance that we can encounter. Success. Let's say you have success in the eyes of this world. You can be lured into this belief. Well, I have all this wonderful success, so I must be doing God's will. I must be completing God's plan and purpose for my life. It's not true. It is just so not true. We can be lured to believe that. But true success isn't determined by man. True success is determined by God. So success is not measured by the standards of this world. It's how we respond to God's plan and his purpose with faithfulness. Satan has no problem with anybody having success in this world. So anything I can do 
to lure that person away from God's plan and purpose, I'll do it. If it's success, they can have all the success that they want. They can enjoy anything they want as long as I can get them away from God's redemptive plan. So again, success is not always the best indicator that you are following God's plan and purpose for your life. Jesus warns us with these words in Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet for, forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And this is why vision is so important, church. Vision gives us clarity. Vision helps us to avoid the pitfalls of success. I think one of the greatest, if not the greatest hindrance there is to anybody who says, all right, I'm going to set out, I'm going to discern God's plan, I want to see God's plan, I want to live that plan by faith. I think this is the number one hindrance any of us will encounter, and it's commitment. It's commitment. Someone listen to me right now. You know exactly what God's called you to do, but you're not doing it. And the reason why we'll allow excuses to prevent us from committing to God's plan for our lives. Sometimes we fail to commit to the plans of God because we're afraid. We're afraid. But what is there to be afraid of? What is there to fear? If you follow God's plan for your life, aren't you gonna, you're not going to be shortchanged. I believe that is one fear that comes into our mind. That maybe we've had success or comfort in this world, and we're like, you know what, I, I need to fulfill God's plan for my life, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I do that, I'm going to lose what I've got. So God's not going to give you a, a lesser uh, fulfilling life if you commit to him. If you commit yourself to God and he begins to reveal his plans and purpose to you, and you begin to walk that plan out by faith, you're not going to end up with some secondary short-changed life. God's got a blessed, a blessed and wonderful life for you. It's planned out if you just walk in it by faith. Sometimes we get a glimpse of God's plan, and it scares us. It scares us. So we try to do this. We're going to go another route, and this is the way I'm going to do it. I know this is God's plan, but I'm going to go this way, and God, I want you to bless me. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There, he created you for his plan, his purpose. That's what makes this, this verse come alive here in 1 Corinthians 6.20. It says this, For you were bought at a price. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to him. So your life is his life. So God has purchased us, purchased us redeemed us to fulfill a plan of redemption. So Jesus redeemed us from our sin so we can fulfill God's plan for our lives. So the life we should live should be lived for the glory of God. Now, too often we want God to do this. When it comes to the plans and purposes of God, we want God, okay, before I step out in faith, before I really apply myself to what you've called me to do, I want you to show me everything. I want you to show me from here till now and everything in between. I want to know your plan in its entirety. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Why is that? Because 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So if we walk by sight, we'll never, we'll never fulfill what God's going to reveal to us because it will scare the fire out of us. So if we walk by sight, we'll miss what God is revealing and we won't commit to his plans and they go unfulfilled. So vision helps us to see God's plan. But vision rarely, if ever, shows you any of the twists and turns that will take place when you commit yourself to God's plan. I wish it did, but it doesn't. 
The patriarch Joseph, he is a great example. Someone have a vision. They, he sees God's plan for his life. He chooses to pursue that plan by faith, and he remains committed during all these tragedies that take place. I mean, just tremendous difficulty in his life, and he stays committed to God's plan. And Joseph, when God began to reveal himself to Joseph and his plans, Joseph's 17 years old, two dreams. And those two dreams reveal God's plans for his life. But it doesn't even show where Joseph is. And it doesn't show what Joseph's going to go through. And it only shows him this, the end of the vision. This is what it's going to look like. So it's an interesting story. The dreams fail to reveal the trials, the difficulty that Joseph would face. And this happens all the time. People see God's plan, they begin to pursue it by faith, then all of a sudden, difficulty happens. Again, just because you sign up for God's plan doesn't mean you're going to live a carefree life, that all my trials, all my worries are no, over. No, in fact, it's going to be just the opposite. Now, you, you probably listen to me and say, well, why on God's green earth would I want to dedicate, fulfill God's plan for my life if I'm asking for difficulty? Listen, one way or another in this life, you're going to face difficulty. Why not do it God's way? So you're going to encounter difficulty. When all of a sudden, we hap when difficulty happens, this is what takes place. We're like, you know what? I'm going to go a different course. I'm going to go my own route. And when we go our own route, we'll, we'll kind of sidestep God's plan for our lives. Or we'll do this. We'll encounter difficulty. We'll decide, you know what? The price is too high. Th this is going to cost me way too much. Way too much of my time. Way too much of my resources. I'm just not willing to give that to you, God. And then I would go back to question this. Are you born again? Are you born again? Because he bought you. He purchased you. You belong to him. So fear can keep us from committing by faith. And Joseph could have easily allowed the circumstances of his life to dictate his response to God's plan. But Joseph was committed to God's plan despite his trials. Let's pick up his story. What are the two dreams? Let's just kick it off with Joseph's story. Genesis 37, verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Verse 6, so he said to them, please hear this dream, which I've dreamed. They were, they were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheep arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brothers said to them, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now just pause there for just a second. They know exactly what the dream means. Every one of them. There's no doubt. It's not a, this is an arrogant kid, which he probably was a little arrogant. I mean, he's 17 years old. But they know immediately what this means. Go on to verse 9. Then he dreamed still another dream, told it to his brothers, and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to you, to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, Joseph, his fathers, his brothers, everyone, they know what the dreams mean. I mean, Joseph was already the hand-picked favorite, was he not? So the brothers see the dreams as this. It's a reality. 
the reality is this. One day, Joseph will be the patriarch of the family. There's no doubt about it. Dad already loves him. Dad loves him more than us. Dad's giving him all these special privileges, even giving him a nice coat and all this. This, this is going to be the reality. He's just rubbing it in our face. Later in the story, Joseph sent by his father to inspect the work of his brothers. Remember, his brothers are grown men. I mean, Joseph is 17. These are men. <clears throat> They're all much older than him. And what he was supposed to do is to go and inspect their work and then report to dad. Tell, tell dad how, how their brothers are working out. So this is what the brothers say when they see Joseph coming in the distance. Look at this, verse 20 of Genesis 37. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. So I want to say this, church, if you live, if you choose to live to pursue God's plan by faith, you will face challenges. But what is there to fear? We can't allow those challenges to cripple our faith. Joseph, his brothers, they wanted to destroy him. But in order to destroy him, they were in effect trying to destroy God's plan and purpose. And here's the fact, it wasn't his time. They could not destroy the plans and purposes of God. Why? Because God had a plan and a purpose for Joseph. There was something that Joseph had to fulfill that had not been fulfilled yet, and he was going to live it out by faith. So this is what takes place in verses 25 through 28. And they sat down to a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listen. Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now this is God's grace and his mercy. This is God's foreknowledge. This is God saying, I have a plan and a purpose for this kid. And so he arranges, I mean, those guys just don't show up in the desert for no reason. God's got a plan and a purpose for his life. What's he going to do? He's going to preserve that plan and that purpose. So these traders appear out of nowhere so they can purchase Joseph in order to save his life, in order to save God's plan. Like Joseph, some of you can look back over your life and you see God's grace, can you not? How many of you have ever been stupid before? <clears throat> Isn't it funny how God can show so much grace for your stupidity? Why is that? Because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. That's why. God, why did God protect you and preserve you? Because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. To give you a better perspective of Joseph's situation, let's do this. He's 17 years old. Let's back out for a second. He's 17 years old. He has two dreams. And subsequent to those dreams, he sold into slavery. Now, it wasn't until 13 years later that Joseph was elevated from second in command. He becomes governor of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. So how did that happen? How did this all take place? What were the twists and turns from the beginning to the end of God's plan? Joseph was gifted, had the ability to interpret dreams. We know that through his story. So while he's in prison, Joseph's called upon to interpret two dreams. Two of Pharaoh's officials are in prison, and, he's, and, and he fulfills that part of it. But then later, Joseph, or Pharaoh has dreams. Joseph's 
called upon to interpret those dreams. Joseph tells Pharaoh this, believe the dreams that you're having are glimpses into the future. God's revealing his plans, and he's showing you what's going to take place in the future. Egypt will experience seven years of plenty, plenty of harvest, but it'll be followed by seven years of famine. So as a result of interpreting these dreams, Pharaoh elevates Joseph from prisoner to governor, overseeing that, pr that preparation for the coming famine. So what does this do? This makes Joseph 30 years old when God elevates him from prison to governor. So Joseph oversees those first seven years. Seven years. So he's 30 years old when he becomes governor. There's seven years of plenty, which at the end of the seven years, it makes him 37. So he's 37 years old through the seven years of plenty, which are followed by what? Seven more years of famine. So in the second year of the famine, it's so severe that Joseph's brothers are forced to leave Canaan and come to Egypt to buy food. So unbeknownst to his brothers, Joseph was the man in charge of the food distribution. The brothers have to bow before him. Now at that point, we can look at it and say, okay, we can see how God's plan is coming together now. So at this point, we can see where it's kind of going to go. But later, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, this is what he says. Genesis 45, 11. There I will provide for you, and this is after he's revealed himself, there I will provide for you, least you and your household, and all that you have come to poverty, for there is still five more years of the famine. So we understand this. In year two of the famine, Joseph reveals himself. Joseph's 39 years old. When God began to show Joseph his plan for his life, he's 17. That plan does not come to pass for 22 years. 22 years. 22 years before it becomes a reality. Now here's my question. Are you willing to patiently pursue God for 22 years? Or however long it takes. Are you willing to hold on to God's promise and his plan for your life for that length of time? Are you willing to endure all the tragedy and trials that he did over those 22 years to fulfill God's plan for your life? Are you willing to commit yourself to God and his plan no matter what happens? No matter what the time frame is? And most of us will say yes right here. And we'll go outside we'll say no by our lifestyles. We'll say yes as long as it means smooth sailing and an end in a timely fashion, God. But if we've got to do this for 20 years, and I've got to go through a bunch of garbage, then you know what, I'll, I'll go for plan B. But here's the thing, if you're born again, there is no plan B. There's only plan A. And this is why so many of God's plans go unfulfilled in our lives. He's going to fulfill his plans and purpose, whether it's through us or someone else. It's going to get done. But don't you want to be a part of what God's doing in this world? What God wants to do in your life? I mean, he redeemed you for a wonderful plan. From time to time, God revealed his plans to Joseph and how they were going to be fulfilled. But, and I'm sure that Joseph, as he's thinking about, you know, the dreams that he had and all the trials that he's encountered, God, how are you going to bring me from here to there? I don't see that connection. How's that going to take place? But he pursues God by faith. God showed Joseph the outcome. But God didn't show him how long it would take and how difficult the journey would be. God did not reveal to Joseph this. Think about all that takes place in his life. God didn't say this. Okay, Joseph, I'm going to give you these dreams. Oh, by the way, I want to give you a disclaimer. No, he didn't do any of that. He did not reveal to Joseph the outcome and how long it would take. He didn't reveal to Joseph that his brothers would betray him, his own flesh and blood. 
betray him, sell him into human slavery, sell him for some silver pieces, sell him into slavery. God did not reveal to Joseph that he would be taken to a foreign land and sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar. God did not reveal to Joseph that while he was in Potiphar's house that he would be falsely accused of an attempted rape, that Potiphar's wife would come on to him and advance, make advances towards him. He would, he would not give in. He would do the right thing. And instead of being blessed for doing the right thing, he's condemned, falsely arrested, falsely imprisoned. God did not reveal to Joseph as a result of those accusations, he'd be thrown into prison again for a crime he did not commit. God did not reveal to Joseph that while he was in prison, he would cross paths with two of Pharaoh's officials whom Pharaoh had thrown into prison. Of course, while in prison, both these men have dreams. Joseph correctly, correctly interprets those dreams. One would be executed, one would be restored. Joseph asked one of those officials to remember him. The hopes was this, maybe he can curry some kind of favor. Maybe this guy can say a good word to Pharaoh, get me out of prison. So once the official is restored, I'm sure that Joseph thought this, I've, I've just interpreted these two dreams correctly. This man is going to go back and serve Pharaoh. Surely he's going to say something. Hey, you've got some guy in prison. This guy, he can interpret dreams. But you know this, two more years he languishes in that prison. Can you imagine what you'd feel like? I mean, you, you have been abandoned. I mean, you have been just accusations, depression, all these things taking place in your life. And this is God's plan for my life. God, you showed me a, a vision, a dream. It had all these great things taking place. I'm in prison. How, how is this going to come to pass? See, if God would have done this, Joseph, here's what I'm going to do with your life. You're 17 years old, and immediately you're going to be sold into slavery by your brothers. And if God began to reveal all those things to Joseph, Joseph would have done exactly what anyone would have said. No, thank you. See, some of you are struggling to see God's plan for your life because of circumstances you've endured or circumstances you are facing right now. Put yourself in Joseph's position. Don't you think Joseph experienced doubt? Don't you think he struggled with frustration? I mean, that would be one of the most frustrating things in this world. Don't you think he felt betrayed and abandoned? Joseph gives us a great example. He didn't allow those, those events, those circumstances, please hear me, to define him. Instead, they refined him. Those, those things that happened in his life that were difficult, that were tragedy, that were trials, did not define him. They refined him. So God never gives us a promise that we're going to have a, prom, a, a problem-free life. And again, if you're waiting for the conditions to be right, please hear me, because I know some of you struggle with this. God's got a plan of purpose for your life. You don't know what it is, so you're doing this. I'm going to wait till the conditions are just right. And when the conditions are just right, then I'll act by faith. You're going to be standing there for a long time. Because the conditions will never be just right. Because you live in a fallen world. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's got a plan and a purpose for your marriage. He has a plan and a purpose for your children. He has a plan and a purpose for your finances. He has a plan and a purpose for every area of your life. See, some of you don't tithe because of fear. You're unwilling to commit to God's financial plan for your life because of fear. When it comes to God's ability to bless, we want that. Sign us up for all that. We want this part of the plan. We want to experience the blessings of Malachi 3.10. Look at this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be a room enough to receive it, sign me up for that, God. And if I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, God, sign me up for that. 
so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in, its, in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. We want that part of God's plan, but we don't want the other part. The other part is this, that we tithe. We don't want to commit ourselves to God's plans because of what it might cost us, how we might commit to it. We want to experience the blessings of God without committing to God's plans. It's kind of like this. Some people want to date. They want to act like they're married, but they don't want to be married. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. With giving, we want to tip God. We want to tip God before we tithe. We want to do this tipping thing, see if this tithing thing might work. And if this tipping thing works, we'll tithe. It doesn't work that way. You walk by faith, not by sight. That strategy doesn't work in God's plan for your marriage. It doesn't work with that, his plan for your family. It doesn't work in your finances. It doesn't work in anywhere in God's plan for your life. See, God's plan requires this, faith and commitment. Faith and commitment. I just want to be church, go to church, have a good time, be blessed, go out and live my life. It doesn't work that way. Jesus bought you. He purchased you. He redeemed you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. His plan is better than your plan. Let's face it, church. Most of us don't commit ourselves to God because of fear. Because of fear. Here's a great example. New Testament story. Matthew 19, verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then look, then come follow me. Then the young man heard this, Went away sad because he had great wealth. Now Jesus gives this man an incredible invitation. He's invited him to follow him, to be one of his disciples, to follow him. He's got a wonderful plan for his life. But what does he choose? He goes, you know what, I just, I can't give that much. I, you know, I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to be able to go to church whenever I kind of want and everything. But, you know, I just really want you to bless my life. I just want you, it's kind of like buying a used car. I want to buy a used car. You put some new wheels on it, shine it up, make it look good. I'm good with that. It doesn't work that way. This whole salvation thing does, you know, he's saving you from your sins, but he's saving you from you as well, from your plans, because our plans end one place. It doesn't end where God destined us to be. But there's one thing that stood in the way preventing this man from committing himself to Jesus, and in this case, it was money. What keeps you from committing yourself to God's plan for your life? What, can, what keeps you, what causes fear? What causes you from not committing yourself to God's plan for your life? Is it your past? Is it your past experiences? Is it people? Jesus offers this man a great plan, an eternal plan, a plan to be one of his disciples. But he's afraid to commit to God's plan. Can you imagine walking away from Jesus and his plan for your life? But many of us do this. It happens all the time. It happens in this church. 
We opt for a different plan. We go forth with our plans, and we want God to bless it, but it doesn't work that way. God's plan is better than your plan. God's plan will bring you peace. It will bring you satisfaction. God's plan will result in something, a better a future, a hope. God's plan will benefit you. It will benefit your family. It will benefit your church. It will benefit your community. It will benefit God. When that all works together, when you're in the midst of that, you'll know. You have peace, and you'll have hope. You'll have confidence. You'll have satisfaction. All the things that your soul longs for is there. It's in fulfilling God's plan for your life. We will experience the most peace and contentment when we walk by faith, even when we're going through difficult times. You can have the peace of God. Knowing this, you have that confidence. You're doing what God's called you to do. Joseph remained committed to God's plan despite all the difficulties that he faced. And Joseph could have become bitter. I mean, if there's any person in the Bible that could become bitter, Joseph is one of those people. I mean, could you put yourself in Joseph's position? I mean, here, finally, his brothers appear before him. He's got them in his gun sights. I mean, he could just take them out right now. I'm the governor of Egypt. I'm, the only one who is above me is Pharaoh himself. And when I tell him what his, my brothers did to me, he'll say, have at them. Do whatever you want to them. Joseph could have become vengeful because of his justice, his injustice. He could have begged for justice and received it. But what does Joseph do? Throughout those trials, throughout those tragedies, throughout pursuing God's plan for his life, some of you have been there for, I'm doing everything right, but everything is going wrong. That's an easy place to get offended. That's an easy place to get hurt. That is an easy place to have your heart corrupted. But what does Joseph do? He keeps his heart pure. Look at how he responds to all this in Genesis chapter 45. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am your brother. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. Man, he's consoling them. You can already see the purity of his heart. Because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. And what a great perspective. God sent me here before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity for you and the, and the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Verse 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. But God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, because Joseph kept himself pure, he went through those trials and he went through those difficulties and he could look past his brother's sin. He was able to see God's plan and purpose for his life. You see, if Joseph has the wrong heart, and if he has a damaged heart, or if he has something that is broken within him, he is going to, he's going to act in vengeance. He's going to act ugly. He's going to bite because he's been bitten. He's going to hurt because he's been hurt. But what does he do? You show the purity of his heart. It shows by his actions. He's able to see this. You know what? God orchestrated all that to save me so that I could be sent to Egypt. Everything I endured was for a plan and a purpose. What was that? To save your hide. And not only to save your hide, but your children and your children's children. I would even go so far to say this. Just because of the manner of person Joseph is, he understands God's got a greater plan for his people. 
Tragedy became triumph. Pain became healing. Vengeance became love. What Satan meant for evil, God redeemed and used it for his glory. Why? Because a young man at the very beginning chose to serve God, chose to discern God's plan and live it out by faith. Joseph could have easily become bitter, justly punished his brothers for their atrocities. But instead, what does he do? Shows them grace. Shows them grace. God did not allow the events Joseph experienced to harm him. God allowed those experiences to protect him and to protect his plan and his purpose and his family and his family's families. The tragedy Joseph experienced happened in order to preserve him and the Jewish people. We have that view now. We can look back from it. We can kind of zoom out. We see the entire story. When Joseph was sold as a slave, the Ishmaelites, if they hadn't arrived at that moment, he was dead. Read the story. Go back to it. They're ready to kill him. There's only one brother that's like, this is not a good idea, but the rest of them, they're going to kill him. If those Ishmaelites don't show up at that time, at that moment, he dies. But God's got a plan and a purpose for his life. He can't die. God's not done with him. God's not through him. This, this young man hasn't even entered into what God's called him to do. Where, why do we have fear? Why are we afraid to commit to God's plan for our lives? When you commit to God's plan for your life, it will end up not only for your blessing, but for the blessing of others. God has a plan for your life. It'll impact you. It will impact your marriage. It will impact your family. It will impact your church. It will impact your community. It goes beyond you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Vision gives us the ability to see, to discern God's plan for our lives. Faith gives us that opportunity to commit ourselves to the plans and purposes of God. Faith is what encourages us to remain faithful despite the challenges and the difficulties we will face. Faith reminds us that God's plan, no matter what our current conditions are, will always end up far better than any other plan. They will end up for our betterment, not our detriment. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. God's not only got a plan and a purpose for your life here, but together, God's got a plan and a purpose for our church. God's got a plan and a purpose for our church in this community. And we have yet to fulfill that plan. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.